Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. All right, all right. Welcome, welcome. How are you guys all doing? It's a very, yeah, you're a very excited group of people here, and hopefully those of you online as well. It's so good to have you guys. Uh, today we launch into week three of Jesus for President. This is going to be a different week, okay? So if this is your first time here, let me just kind of tell you that. This is not how I normally preach. It's going to have a different tone. Normally we're very interactive. This is one of those weeks where I'm not going to ask you to kind of talk back to me or interact. It's, it's definitely just going to be different. And part of it is because I'm tackling some really tough subjects. Um, so even how I'm often so playful, I almost feel like it would be inappropriate to be so playful. And so just, uh, just recognizing that. Um, and here's, here's why, because what I'm going to tackle today is um, some, some big issues. And because the whole question with Jesus for president and this, this whole series was, what would Jesus say about some of the hot topics of the day? And they're hot topics. They're, they're hard to tackle. But, it, you know, Jesus had interesting interactions with his disciples um, where he even kind of confronted some of their cultural perspectives. One of those examples is when um, he starts talking about going to the cross. He's going to die on the cross. And Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, never, no, not, not you. And Jesus spins around and looks at him and goes, get thee behind me, Satan. How, that, how do you think you'd feel after that? You've been traveling with Jesus for years. You're like his best friend. And he calls you Satan. You're like, well, what? what happened? Peter's cultural perspective just collided with Jesus's perspective. See, this cultural perspective that um, Jesus, the Messiah, you're going to come and you're going to establish your kingdom and you're going to overthrow the Roman government and and, like we're going to rule here, right? And Jesus goes, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, that doesn't add up at all. That can't be. And so what ends up happening is there's this clash between Peter's cultural perspective that he's grown up kind of believing his whole life and Jesus's perspective and they collide to come head to head. And today we might have some of that happen where you're going to have a cultural perspective that you've kind of believed your whole life or you picked up along the way. And some of the things that I might say or that Jesus said might kind of collide with that. And, um, and I, I just want to kind of warn you on that um, and really to challenge you to be careful that your position, our identity is not centered around our cultural perspective, a political party, over Christ himself and what he said in the word of God about any subject. So I'll say this. <laughs> might be the only funny thing I say. I'll try to be an equal opportunity offender today, okay? Try to offend all of you. Uh, not, not really. That's not my point. But I'm going to try to tackle five uh, big subjects and maybe give them five minutes apiece. And it's just not even fair, honestly. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to do this, but I'm going to do my best. And what's interesting about these five things is that some of them are championed more publicly by Democrats. Some of these subjects are more uh, championed more publicly by Republicans. Most churches actually have a tendency to get really loud about two or three of them and become really quiet about some of the others. And this is why this is going to be tough is because I'm going to talk about all five of them as opposed to avoid some. Churches often play up some, play down others, or even worse, stop believing in some of them altogether. Um, So I'm going to touch briefly on these five. There's definitely more, but I think these are five that we have to address. Uh, If I give you a foundation, though, before we even hop into these subjects, here's a a few of the foundational things that just to build this conversation, okay? Is I'm not pretending to be able to cover the fullness of the subject, each one of these five, could, I could spend an hour and a half talking about each of them. And, um, 
And so in five minutes, it's just not even nearly exhaustive enough. I also have avoided some of these subjects because I think they're best uh, approached in conversation in trusted relationship. A one-way monologue is just never the best uh, place to have some of these, um, to even broach some of these subjects. I really believe within trusted relationships is always the best subject uh, or the best context. Second thing is I'm looking to Jesus's words and the consistent whole of the word of God as my plumb line of truth. So if you're going, Josh, how come you're coming to this conclusion? It's because I believe the word of God is the inerrant word of God. Um, and I'm always going to look to scripture, what Jesus said, and the whole of scripture and how it all goes together as my plumb line for my foundation of my beliefs. Okay. And I think that should be true for all of us as followers of Christ. Third, um, I'm talking about subjects through the lens of discernment, not judgment. As I say some of the things, some of you are going to feel like you're going to feel judged. I, I, I just, I, it's because our culture has kind of gone to this bizarre place of like, if we disagree at all, people are like, how dare you judge me? You know, that type of thing. And it's like, you, you don't have to go to that place of, of judgment. In fact, scripture says, do not judge lest you be judged. Um, uh, Psalm seven eleven says, God is the righteous judge. But here's the deal. It is not my place to judge and I'm not pretending to judge you, but it is my place to discern and it is your place to discern. What's the difference? Discernment discerns the difference between right and wrong. Judgment passes the final judgment over that right or wrong. God someday is going to come face to face with whatever decision or life choices you made. He will pass judgment. That's not my place. That's not your place. But it is our place to discern and be able to say this was right or wrong in our life. Okay? Does this make sense? Okay, you're like, oh, you told me not to talk back. Okay, good. You're, good, you listened. Okay, fourth thing, um, and this is really important, is that we love those that we disagree with. You might disagree with some of the things I say today. Um, I would ask that you would extend love to me. I probably disagree with some of the things that you believe in life, and I will extend love to you. This is what Jesus said to um, some of the teachers of the law in Matthew chapter 22. When they came to him, they said, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, they only asked for the number one, but Jesus is like, let me throw in the twofer for you. And he says, the second is like it. Love your who? Your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have to approach these subjects through the lens that we can love those that we disagree with. In this room, you're going to disagree with people. You might disagree with me. And would you please extend love? So if I could ask this question, this is the one thing you can please respond back to me, but how do we treat those that we disagree with? The answer is love them. How do we treat those that we disagree with? We how do we treat those we disagree with? We love them. Okay. With all that said, we're going to dive into five really tough subjects that I think Christ followers need to know what Jesus says for uh, on these subjects. First one that I would say is really important. It's maintaining a good relationship with Israel. Now, this is Jesus for president because I think these are political things that are politicized often. And I think that this one is really important. It's how we support and protect Israel. Now, you might say, does Israel always do what's right? And the answer is no, it doesn't. It's led by 
you know, human men and women who make wrong decisions. Israel, from a religious standpoint, actually doesn't even believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They wouldn't call themselves Christians. They've rejected Christ. And yet, I believe it's really important that we continue to maintain good relationship with them and protect them and care for them. And you might say, why? And here's why. Because Jesus came to fulfill a promise to the nation of Israel. And this is really important. There are promises of God for Israel still yet to be fulfilled. It's, it's coming. In Matthew chapter 15, verse uh, 21 through 28, Jesus has this little interesting encounter with a, a Canaanite woman. So she's Canaanite. She's not Jewish. And uh, she comes to him and says, would you please heal my daughter who's possessed by a demon and suffering? And, uh, and Jesus literally, he responds to her. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now this Greek word that gets translated as only actually can literally be translated as the absolute answer. He was the, sent as the absolute answer answer to the lost sheep of Israel. They have been waiting for the Messiah, and he is that final absolute answer for the Israelites. Um, but he, he actually does extend this grace to this woman because of her faith, and he heals her daughter. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this is how the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What Paul is recognizing here is that Christ came as a fulfillment to a promise over a nation that the Messiah would come and deliver them and be the, the salvation to the people of Israel. This, the gospel and Christ's arrival was for uh, to fulfill a promise to Israel. And then it gets extended beyond them to anyone and everyone who would believe, to Gentiles, which most of us are probably Gentiles. That's anyone who's a non-Jew. But here's the deal. I believe God still has promises yet to be fulfilled for the nation of Israel. Next week, we launch into a series called It's the End of the World as We Know It. Um, and as we're going to be diving into that subject, if I could even set the stage even now for that subject next week, the stage for the end of the world as we know it is Israel, the Middle East, and the crown jewel of it all, Jerusalem. That, that is where our focus and really humanity's focus is going to be in the years ahead. The majority of the Old Testament is God demonstrating his faithfulness and character through the lens of relationship with Israel. And I believe because Israel was God's chosen nation and people, there are still yet promises yet to be fulfilled to this nation. Our support of them as a nation, maintaining good relationship, and protecting them and their land matters. Now, I'm going to give props in this message and, uh, to where I think they need to be given, and I'll call some things out. Also, the um, I think areas where things need to be called out. But props to our president. On May 14, 2018, it was the 70th year anniversary, actually, of the, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. It was reestablished as a nation May 14, 1948. And on that 70th year anniversary, uh, President Trump moved the U.S. Embassy from where it was located in Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because what President Trump was doing was he's saying, we are behind Israel. We want to maintain good relationship with Israel. We want to support Israel. And when they did that, they're also declaring, we see Jerusalem as your capital city. Now, why does that bring conflict? It brings conflict because the Palestinians also claim Jerusalem as the capital city uh, for, for them. But I think it's incredibly important because God's promise is for 
the Jews and for Israel. When we were in Israel in February, about 50 of us from the church were there. Um, our tour guide, uh, his name was Avi. He's a Jewish man, so he's not a Christian. And I just asked him, I, I, in fact, when I travel internationally, I always ask people, hey, what's your perspective of Americans and our president? And it's really interesting because they, they tell it to you as they see it. And, um, but when there, he just said, hey, man, we, we actually really appreciate America and we really appreciate your president. When he moved the, the embassy to Jerusalem, it meant a ton to the nation of Israel. And I believe how we treat Israel will always matter. And whoever is president, um, we should be praying that they treat Israel well. I believe that is always important. So how do we treat those that we disagree with? We love them. You might disagree with me, but um, we love one another. Second subject. And I think uh, Jesus talks about is racial justice, and I think we should be uh, about. If there's a subject that dominates the headlines right now more than anything else, it is this. And if there's anything that Jesus modeled and broke the barriers on in his day as well, it was this. He was actually a forerunner in helping kind of address the problem of racial injustice. Two places that I would encourage you to check out is John chapter 4. Read that whole chapter. Do it later this week. Uh, Parable of the Good Samaritan, another one. But John chapter 4 is this beautiful encounter that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. So now why is this kind of a, it's it's a shocking encounter, but it's beautiful. So Samaritans in Jesus' day were really a half-breed. So they were half Jewish and they were half really uh, other nationality, other people group, Canaanites. Because what had happened is the Jews had settled out in the land of Samaria and some of them started intermarrying with others out there. And eventually they created this half-breed nation and they called themselves Samaritans because that's where they lived. The problem is the Jews looked at these kind of Jews who started intermarrying with others and they said, you're no longer pure Jews and so they started rejecting them. The, the deal is, though, the Samaritans actually still followed uh, God of the Old Testament. They, they believed in the Torah. They were waiting for the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes to this woman in John chapter 4, and he actually extends really the, the invitation to follow him to this woman, the Samaritan woman, he breaks down all these barriers because he's like, listen, I, I recognize you've been marginalized and you've been mistreated by the Jews, but I know you're waiting for the Messiah and I'm here for you as well. When Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, this is mind-blowing. The, the parable is of this man, obviously it's a made-up story, but of a man who gets beat up along the roadside and the priest comes by and uh, avoids him and leaves him and the Levite comes by and avoids him and leaves him but the Samaritan comes by and is the hero of the story. The Samaritan comes and cares for the individual and and, uh, mends their wounds and and all that and what he's doing is he's saying listen while you the Jews all of his all of his followers really have been marginalizing this this nationality and this race of people he's like listen I am here for them as well. And um, if there's anything that Jesus stood for bluntly, it was that the kingdom that in the kingdom of God there's no space for any mistreatment or looking down on someone because of their race. The, they need equal opportunity. And Jesus, what he was doing is showing that the, the Samaritans they needed equal opportunity to come and follow him. Now, I said I'm going to call some things out that I think need to be called out. One of the things that was not helpful that I saw our, our president do earlier uh, this summer was when he was often referring to the coronavirus as the China virus. 
Now, I, I know what he was doing. Uh, we were also right in the middle of some pretty serious uh, trade wars. Obviously, the United States is right now in some tariff and trade war stuff with China. So I know the president is making a really an economic dig. The problem is it doesn't necessarily come across that way. I understand that that's where the virus began. But when he throws the entire, uh, everything that's happening around the world uh, and he just kind of categorizes it that way, it actually has a negative impact of the virus upon the nation and those of that nationality. In uh, May, there was a news article that I read in the LA Times, and they said this, the group Asian American Americans Advancing Justice estimates that in the first 45 days of the virus here in the United States, there had been 2,000 in incidents of attacks upon Asian Americans. 60% of Asian Americans surveyed had experienced racial attacks since the virus outbreak. And some of that I know is due to the fact of how it gets categorized in that way. And I haven't even touched, I mean, I haven't even touched on the inequality of treatment of African-Americans or Hispanics. The continued fight, though, for racial equality in the areas of education, uh, economic growth, and personal treatment of blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and other minorities should be of the utmost importance to Christ followers. If you're looking for a good book, I would highly recommend that you read this book, The Third Option I'm reading right now, by Miles McPherson, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. He's a pastor in San Diego in a very uh, racially diverse church. Uh, he writes, even some of his stories that are four or five years old literally sound like they could have been written last week. His scenarios that he's going through and everything, it's so insightful. And it's all about really how do we honor the image of God in the other person, in every person. So how do you treat people you disagree with? We love them. All right, third thing. A historical position on sex and marriage. All right, probably the most obvious passage in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus addresses this. Jesus is talking about marriage. He's talking about sex. He's talking about divorce. Um, and what he says is though really relevant to the subjects of sex and marriage and sexuality actually in general. Let me just pick this thing up in Matthew chapter 19 verse 4. What's happened is uh, the people have asked him, hey, when can we get a divorce? Because in that day and age, it had gotten really warped. And so um, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But he says this, haven't you read? He replied, in the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's actually quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And what he does in this moment is he links five things together in a moment. He, he links sex, moving in together, Marriage between men and women for life, till death do you part. And this view on marriage, when Jesus is asked about it, is actually, it had gotten really warped. See, what had happened is Moses had made a, a kind of a, allotment for people to be able to get divorced if they wanted. And what had happened is the Jews had twisted that to a place where literally, if, like, uh, if the husband was not happy with his wife's cooking, he's like, ah, traitor in. Let's get a divorce. I, I, want, I want something different. And, and so they're asking, hey, what can we get a divorce? Is that all cool? And Jesus, what he does is he goes, let me just go all the way back to the very beginning. And he anchors marriage in the original version that God had in mind. These things, sex, moving in together, marriage between man and woman till death is God's design. And Jesus links these things together. 
And he chooses actually a very specific word to even refer to God. Let's just check this out. In verse 4, he says this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator. Now you need to know that these words right here, at the beginning, the creator, are Jesus' words, not Genesis. Here, made them male and female, that's Genesis chapter 2. These words are Jesus' words. Jesus actually chooses a word right here, calls God creator. This is probably the only place in Matthew that Jesus actually refers to God in this way. Throughout the entire book, the majority of times, Jesus refers to God as Father God, or Heavenly Father. Almost always Heavenly Father, sometimes God, but here he calls him creator. Why is this important? It's because creator is a designer. When he gives him this term, what he's doing is he's saying, listen, God is the designer. He's saying this is the way humanity was designed by God for sex and marriage. I heard this quote from a couple different pastors uh, about the idea of if we rid ourselves of the concept of that there is a creator and a designer, here's the kind of the, the domino effect of that. When you get rid of the creator, you get rid of design. When you get rid of design, you get rid of purpose. When you get rid of purpose, you get rid of accountability. When you get rid of accountability, you get rid of the need to answer for your choices. When you get rid of the need to answer for your choices, you get rid of the fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when you get rid of the fear of God and wisdom, the only thing that you're left with is total confusion. And this is kind of where I feel our culture is, sexually confused. Now, you might ask, well, what about same-sex relationships? Did did Jesus say anything about that, or did he simply omit his view on same-sex relationships? And I would say, Jesus likely didn't omit his view. Um, If Jesus wanted to expand the view of marriage or sexuality, I think he would have done it, because he did that all the time. When Jesus would quote things, he would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, do not murder. I say to you, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. And everyone's like, what? And he expands the view of what, of what the fullness of what that means. In this area, Jesus actually go, uh, does go on, or, or he doesn't go on to expand the view. He actually takes it back and anchors it in the original design. Jesus does, though, go on to expand and give some commentary on sex and sexuality, though. Okay, so in the next verses, in verse 11 through 12, some of the disciples are like, whoa, if we can't just divorce our wives for any reason, it's probably better not to get married. (laughs) I don't know, that's a bad idea. But he goes, no, listen, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way, There are eunuchs who have been made that way, made eunuchs by others. And then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. Now, what's he talking about here? What he's doing is he's saying, listen, there are some people who are born this way, some people who are made this way, and others who choose to live this way as what? As eunuchs. What's a eunuch? A eunuch is someone who, didn't, who couldn't have sexual intercourse. And he's saying, listen, some literally are born that way. They don't have the sex organs. They don't have the sex drive. They, uh, there's, we live in an imperfect world where sometimes people are born that way. Then there are others who are made that way. In Jesus' day, they, 
did this. They would often, uh, the Roman government would take young boys, castrate them so that they would never go through puberty. Um, they wouldn't have a sex drive, and then they would make them to serve in the service of the queen, the princesses, and the handmaidens, knowing that they would never be tempted to go and rape those ladies. And so uh, some are made that way, and some choose to live this way. Now, why in the world would anyone ever choose to live as a eunuch? What he's saying is those who choose to live a celibate life, choose to live not having sexual intercourse. Why would they do that? Uh, He's pointing out that they would choose to do this because they don't see themselves ending up in a marriage as described by Jesus in the earlier verses. And Jesus even ends it by saying this is a hard statement. It's difficult for people to to embrace and understand. But also if you look at the whole of Scripture, because I said Jesus' words in the whole of Scripture... If you look at the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and even the apostles after Jesus, they do address same-sex relationships um, directly, and it's never condoned. If I could point you to some additional resources, um, I would encourage you to check out some of these. These are two, a few messages I gave back in the series Taboo two years ago. I did one on sex I would encourage you to check out. Uh, homosexuality, there's actually two messages on that. This is a great book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel by Christopher Yuan. Christopher Yuan is a, a guy who lived in the gay lifestyle for many years when he gave his life to Christ. Um, he said, God didn't call me from homosexuality to heterosexuality, God called me to holy sexuality, which is the standard actually upon all of us is to live in holy sexuality. Um, and so he walks through what that looks like. Uh, this video, I would encourage you, you got to take a picture of this to find it even, but it's the controversial Jesus, Jesus and the gay community. It's given by John Tyson. He's the pastor at uh, Church of the City in New York City. It's an unlisted video, but if you Google it, you can find it. It is probably the best video ever on just how to love uh, everyone, including those in the gay community. Um, What does scripture say? You can't watch it without feeling loved, no matter where you stand on the issue. You will feel incredibly loved. So how do you treat those that you disagree with? We, We love them. Fourth thing, we care for the marginalized and the poor and the homeless. So Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14, verse 13. He's talking about throwing a party And he says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, this would have been mind-blowing because everyone in that day and age, if you're throwing a party, you invite all the most important people. And he says, no, I want you to invite kind of the people that everyone looks past and looks over. You probably know this passage in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40, when Jesus is talking and he says, hey, remember I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, I needed clothes, you clothed me, and everyone's like, when did we do all that for you, Jesus? And he says this, really, here's the big kicker, verse 40, I truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, God sees us when we love on those who are neglected and overseen. Now, I 100% agree with the phrase that I don't want to just give a hand uh, a hand out, but a hand up. You know, give someone a fish for a day, they'll eat fish for a day. Teach someone how to fish, and they'll eat for life, right? Uh, some of the, the handout mentality doesn't change systemic issues, and yet, in the exact same moment, in Jesus' words here, he's not talking about a hand up. He's talking, actually, about a hand out. He's saying it's really important that you do that. Now, I think both are important, that we have programs that uh, do handouts and hand-ups, both. But they're actually both really important. I don't know about you, but I've been in seasons of my life where I actually just needed a handout. I did. 
Like, uh, like when I couldn't buy groceries, I had two jobs. I was pastoring, and you know, life had just hit the fan, and we couldn't afford things. And quite frankly, I didn't need a hand up. I didn't need a third job. I was working plenty hard. I just needed groceries. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's actually important that you care for those who sometimes just have nothing. And then, yes, we help them get to a place where they can have something on their own. Another group of people that I believe fall into this category, though, would be also immigrants and refugees. Biblically, they're often referred to as aliens. Here's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 through 34. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The stranger who lives as a foreigner with you shall be to you as a native born among you. And you shall uh, love him as you love yourself. For you lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Deuteronomy 10, 19. Therefore love the foreigner, for you were foreigners. Deuteronomy 24, 14. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he be of your brothers or of your foreigners who are in your land within your gates. You know, if you just do a word study of, in Scripture on the alien or the immigrant or the refugee, you will find really quickly that God cares for them and he makes space for them. And he actually calls his children to rally for them and to care for them. Don't forget that even 300 years ago in our nation, all of our forefathers were foreigners in this land. This nation is a melting pot where everyone began as an immigrant. And all I know is that we're called to care for, love on the poor and the needy, the crippled, the prisoner, the hungry, the least of these, the stranger, the foreigner, the alien. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How do we treat those that we disagree with? We love them. All right, final subject. Can you believe it? We've made it. Whew. Pro-life. I think almost everyone, if I would say, are you pro-life? Almost everyone would say, of course I'm pro-life. I am for people's lives. I want to protect life. We value life. Uh, whose life is protected? And of course, most notably, the conversation uh, that is politicized is the baby in utero. That's the political issue. Now, from a biblical perspective, I believe the Bible supports the idea that life begins in the womb. Here's a couple of the verses I would highly encourage you to look at. Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. For you, being God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, this is an interesting word that gets translated as ordained. The Hebrew word here is actually the word that is translated as potter. It's a potter. It's someone who sculpts clay. All of your days were designed and planned and sculpted for me. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. If this tells us anything, it says that God was intimately involved in the design of you, and he has a desire and a will for your days and the life and the length of your days. Now, here's the question. Can we walk outside of God's desire and will for our lives? Yeah. Of course we can. We can walk outside of God's desire and will for our lives. We can go and live however we want. This is why we're not robots. The beauty of a relationship with God is that we have choice. Choice makes the relationship sweet. If we didn't have choice, we would be robots. This whole thing with God would be, it just wouldn't be sweet. It wouldn't be precious. 
Well, what we have with God is sweet because I can choose to walk in step with him in line with his desire and his will for my life, or I can choose to walk in disobedience to those things. When I walk away from God and outside his desire and design and will for my life, I miss out on some of the good things that he has for me. When I walk within it, I experience all of it. The point is that God actually has a desire and a will for the length of our lives, and we, as humanity with choice, have the ability to cut that short. And we have. But what is clear is that God is deeply involved in the forming of life in the womb. And he has a desire and a will for the length of our lives. Nehemiah 9.6, it says, God is the one who gives life to all. It's interesting. In the infancy narratives, even of Jesus, you've got this uh, really cool picture where Jesus and John the Baptist have an encounter while in utero. They do. Mary comes walking in to hang out with her cousin Elizabeth. And when she walks in the room, John the Baptist actually jumps, Scripture says, for joy within her womb. It's the same Greek word brephos that is used to describe Jesus as a baby, as an infant, after birth in Luke chapter 2. And the same word used to describe the children who come to Jesus in Luke chapter 18 as kind of larger children. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, we see the same type of uh, thing, word used here. The babies, this is the same Hebrew used uh, word used to describe grown children, jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire the Lord. And uh, what is in this is it's the ordinary Hebrew word for children to describe the fraternal skirmish that's happening in Rebecca's womb. Now, in a culture like ours, where it is legal to abort a baby, how could I build a position one way or another around how Jesus would respond, even if it's legally okay to abort a child? I think I would go to John chapter 8, which is what Darla referred to earlier. It's this really beautiful encounter with this woman who's caught in adultery. And according to the law, um, she could be stoned to death. And so they ask Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus says, he who's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And everyone slowly walks away, and he looks at the woman, and he says to her, Is no, are, where are your accusers? Are they gone? She said, no one's left to accuse me. He said, then I don't accuse you either. And, but then he says, go and sin no more. Now, here's the deal. In a situation where they had the legal right to take life, Jesus fought in that moment to save it. And so I think that's how Jesus would approach this. We'd always fight to save the life. I think one of the most um, sobering realities, and I know it's in this room as well, is that 25% of individuals have experienced an abortion. 25% of women, but that also means men are usually involved in that process. And I'm not here to condemn you. There's such grace, the sweetness of our Lord, um, for healing on the other side. If I could point you to some resources, I would point you to this. Uh, Seeds of Hope Center. It's actually less than, it's right about an hour away. Um, it's an organization that actually comes alongside people and helping them heal. They actually have an eight-week Bible study that you can hop into about kind of post-abortive um, wounds that you might be facing that you can hop into. Hopeafterabortion.com, uh, focus on the family, has some good resources. But, uh, and then Celebrate Recovery right here at Lakeland would be a great place to start as well. If you find yourself in that position where you're going, how do I heal from um, decisions that I've made from my past? How do I move forward? And God wants to heal. 
every, every area that you've gone through and everything you've gone through. So how do we treat those we disagree with once again? What do we do? We love them. Well, hopefully I was an equal offender today. <laughs> this is why I say Jesus wouldn't fit e- easily into any political party. He is a kingdom independent. And he represents his kingdom positions, which really stand alone. Um, some of these subjects are more uh, vocally championed by Republicans, and some are more vocally championed by Democrats. But no matter how you view these subjects, can I just leave you with this thought from Matthew chapter 22, verse 39? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, how do we treat those we disagree with? We love them. Love them. Not put up with them. Whoa, that's crazy. Not put up with them. Love them. Some of you are like, I'll put up with you. No, love them. It means there's no place in our heart for hatred toward another race. There's no place in your heart for hatred around sexism, homophobia, other religions. There's no no space in the kingdom of God when we're called to love our neighbor. Once again, we can discern, but not judge, And I think I'm just going to close in prayer now. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you lived. You, you just shocked people left and right with the way that you loved on people. And these are really hard subjects. We know that. And we just need so much grace with one another. We may not see eye to eye. People might disagree with me. At the end of the day, Lord, I just pray that I I know that you are a God of so much grace. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that would discern and that would pursue truth and that we would uh, pursue your wisdom for our lives. And um, Lord, some of the things that even might have been covered today might have come up against some of our cultural perspectives and just kind of feel like a Peter moment where you're you're saying, get thee behind me, Satan, or or where you're like calling us out and it just feels feels tough. And yet I, I know in the moment, you also offer such love. You just you have this abounding love for each and every one of us. So Lord, may we follow in that. May we be a people that just the biggest thing that, that it kind of exudes from the children of God during this political season is a genuine love for one another, even though we might disagree. So Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.